0: Hello, and welcome to the Being Well podcast. I'm Forrest Hansen. Today we're continuing the strength of aspiration with an episode dedicated to honoring our dreams. A person's path through life, day by day, year after year, is shaped by many factors. Many of these are beyond our control, like our genetics or place of birth. But studies in adult development show that we still have a lot of influence over how things turn out in our lives, through how we work through cycles of stability and change, draw on teachers and mentors, and realize our dreams, especially the ones we had in childhood. To help us do that, I'm joined today by Dr. Rick Hansen. So to frame the strength as a whole, I think some of the strengths in our series have been very intuitive. It's kind of obvious why we need courage or grit to get through life. But aspiration seems to me, at least, to be a bit more kind of high-minded in nature, Mm. and as such, maybe a bit less intuitive as a kind of necessary strength for people. So out of all of the strengths you could have chosen, uh, why did you pick aspiration as one of the key 12 to focus on?
1: Well, uh, first, it's embedded in uh, the need for satisfaction. And under the mm. general heading of, yeah, of aspiration, uh, we've clustered together a lot of material that has to do with satisfying ourselves uh, through uh, worldly activities through uh, mm-hmm. raising a family, starting a business, pursuing a career, uh, planting a garden, uh, inclu- or even applying the sense of aspiration to some kind of personal practice, like the development of a musical uh, talent or even spiritual practice over time. So for sure, mm-hmm. I think, and especially for worldly readers of a book uh, who are not sitting in a cave somewhere you know, out in the middle of na- nowhere, but are actually engaged in the world learning how to be Mm -hmm. engaged in the world aspirationally, in which uh, you're pursuing goals with a whole heart without getting attached to the results, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. Uh, Aspiration is a key aspect of that. The other reason is that if you think about it, uh, aspiration is involved with resilience and in two ways. First, through being resilient, we're more able to aspire and achieve And not stress too much along the way, and feeling that there is a room in your life for admirable aspiration, for a genuine honoring of and and, an engaged pursuit of your actual dreams. When you know that that's true, you're more able generally to be resilient when there's disappointment, because you know, okay, I didn't succeed at this over here, or Over here, I have a job or a life circumstance that's pretty dreary and repetitive and maybe boring, et cetera. But on the other hand, there's still something alive for me elsewhere in another part of my life in which I'm being aspirational. Just knowing that helps you be more resilient.
0: Great. I think that's some really good context on it. So in the book Resilient, when you were talking about honoring your dreams, you placed a particular emphasis on childhood dreams. Mm. So why was that?
1: first right there, I'm drawing on the work of Daniel Levinson, who's a major Mm. developmental psychologist um, having to do with adult development. And his work in the 60s and 70s, I think, was popularized and elaborated by, I believe, Gail Sheehy, who wrote a book that was a super bestseller, a classic bestseller, I think in the 80s, called Passages, talking about various stages in a person's life, especially during adulthood. And one of the uh, factors that Levinson pointed out as a major uh, influence over the course of adult development, especially in terms of how people deal with it, is the impact of childhood dreams. For example, on the one hand, uh, a person might have had a, a dream fairly early in their life that they really loved animals and wanted to help animals and protect animals. And that dream then becomes a d- d- central theme, let's say, of their career as they move into perhaps being a veterinarian or working in humane shelters or for for animal rights. On the other hand, if a person, let's say, had a dream uh, for life that involved working with animals, and for various reasons it turns out that their work and pretty much their everyday life doesn't have any kind of meaningful uh, relationship to animals, if that dream is still uh, a meaningful dream and not a passing childish fancy, then the lack of tending to that dream can also be a major factor, in, a major influence in the course of their adulthood. So I want to first of all pay respect to Daniel Levinson here, and also to underline that what we developed in the book and uh, is uh, is really grounded in a in a, a long tradition, really of research and science. That mm-hmm. said, I think that we know things from when we're kids that we may not have been able to put into words, and. And sure, some of the things that we thought as kids have turned out to be foolish or or really misguided, but often I think there are deep knowings um, and longings in children, including very young children, that have a lot of standing. Mm. And honoring these dreams we had as a kid, even if we haven't been able to fulfill them yet, but turning back to them can be a way both of respecting the roots of our psyche in childhood and the core of our psyche today in terms of those younger, deeper parts. And also those dreams can give us, uh be like signposts, sort of guiding uh north stars that we can come back to, to help organize and direct the life that we have today.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think that An aspect of this that you're speaking to kind of implicitly Mm -hmm. is that as we go through life, we start to kind of layer various kinds of assumptions and predictions and thoughts about the way the world is Mm -hmm. on top of our psyche. And assumptions get a bad rap. But many of them are are perfectly natural and normal. We assume the sun is going to come up tomorrow. We assume that if we wait at a bus stop, a bus is going to appear more or less on time, things like that. Mm -hmm. But a lot of these assumptions can also be a little bit problematic. We Mm -hmm. assume that if you go into the arts, you're not going to make any money Mm -hmm. because no one pays money for music anymore or no one's going to pay to go into a theater or whatever it might be. We assume that, you know, it's not realistic. To work with animals as a real paying career. And what you have to do if you're a dedicated person is go into a cubicle office and work for 10 hours a day and do that for 40 years. And that's your life. And a lot of those assumptions are more of societal conceptions than they are actual really true things in the real world. Mm. And that difference can be very misguiding as we continue to get older. Mm. So by returning to our kind of pre-assumption aspiration, for lack of a better way of putting it, I think can be a really great way to find those those guiding stars in our lives. That's a great way to think about it, to sort of (laughs)
1: lift up the lid of assumptions to see what's beneath them
0: yeah absolutely, and something that you know I think we're probably going to talk about this a bit more later and probably throughout the strength of aspiration as a whole, but I think it's pertinent here. identifying which of those assumptions are like really yours mm. as opposed to the assumptions that have been given to you by other people yeah. that may or may not be yours at bottom is another really great way to kind of peel back the wrap and paper a little
1: bit, yeah, hey, just to get maybe way too personal, but if it's okay, sure,
0: can you say Forrest? some of
1: maybe one or more uh mm-hmm. kind of inclinations you had as a child or or longings or aims let's say or dreams mm-hmm. in other words dreams that to today is still important to you or and uh, has had an influence that's important in your life
0: mm-hmm. yeah and i think this is a good example because my dreams as a child were never very granular mm-hmm. what i mean is that as we've talked about previously yeah. on the podcast, I was really not the kid who wanted to be a firefighter when they grew up. I was yeah. not the kid who knew I wanted to be an astronaut. Or, but what I did know is I really liked people, and I liked talking to people. And these were two things that were <laughs> very important to me as a kid. I was a pretty gregarious child. Yeah, uh, we often kind of joke that my, my first word was "hi," and I, you know, there were times in my life when I was in middle school or in high school. And I really kind of closed up a little bit and kind of clammed up because mm. I had some unpleasant experiences with other kids. And those were probably the times in my life when I was sort of the least happy. Yeah. And reclaiming those impulses towards interacting with others has been a big part of moving forward in my life from a mental health standpoint.
1: Mm. That's great. And it's great that you're broadening this notion. Sometimes, just like you say, when we think about dreams as, as very concrete – and bounded. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I want to be a geologist. And that's your dream for life. And uh, you, you're really talking about something more general, and yet still extremely important, you know, wanting to be with mm-hmm. other people and to have an opportunity to express yourself uh, into them or to them and and to receive them. That definitely is something I've observed about you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, to kind of continue that point a little bit, I think a natural objection to some of this material Mm-hmm. Particularly when it comes to the idea of childhood dreams, is that, you know, pretty often the dreams that we have as children are, you know, a, a bit out there, a bit fanciful, ranging from, I want to be a wizard to, I want to be a movie star. For most people, neither of those outcomes are mm-hmm. all that likely. So I think that natural objection is something along the lines of, like, well, I wanted to be a movie star as a child. Are you saying that I need to be a movie star or I'll just never be happy? Um, how would you respond to that? And kind of put another way, how can we use our specific and sometimes very grandiose dreams to find those kind of more general, actionable aspirations?
1: Mm. Well, here, I, I hope you say a lot about this one for us, because you've really added to my understanding of this point and, and your your views and words are really... <laughs> sure, happy yeah, to. In the book, uh, I think what you said to me that's really struck me is that it's not about being a movie star per se. It's what would be the experiences you might be able to have as a movie star mm, mm-hmm. or, or how might yeah. being a movie star or a fireman or a geologist, fill in the blank, uh, how might that help other people? So when we think of it like that, we can, re- we can realize that sometimes our dreams focus on certain forms that are really means mm-hmm. to an end. But if we, Look beneath the forms or beyond the forms to the ends they serve. Then, even now in adulthood, when we don't have access to that form, we will never have been a movie star. I will never have been a rock star. I will never have been an Olympic athlete. (laughs) Uh, It's just not going to happen in this life. And yet, the core experiences, as you've helped me understand, Forrest, uh, that these forms can achieve, that they're the means toward, we can reclaim those core experiences as at the heart of our dreams, and then find other ways to pursue them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of this returns to some of the material we've discussed in the past about the difference between means and ends, Mm. where, to use an example I think we used previously in the podcast, if you, let's say that you're somebody who wants to have an expensive car Mm. or wants to have an expensive house, Do you want to have an expensive car because you want to drive really fast on a racetrack? That would make a ton of sense. In that case, the means to the end is is nicely matched up. But do you want to have the expensive car because you want to feel accomplished? Or because you want to be somebody who makes enough money to afford an expensive car? Or do you want to be someone who is able to get the things they want without worrying about it? You know, whatever it might be. In those cases, there are other ways to achieve those ends than that specific means. So to use this example, let's say it's that movie star kind of ideology a little bit. That's a really very narrow means to some potentially much broader ends of fame, the enjoyment of acting, being seen by others, feeling very socially referenced in the work that you do, any kind of performance, being involved with the arts. Like there are all these elements that make up that dream. That somebody could very reasonably aspire to have in their life without fulfilling the finite dream itself. And I think mm-hmm. that drawing that distinction is really very important.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, you're right. And you've pointed out that people sometimes get very attached to their means. And sure. it's, it's really great to appreciate the fact that we don't need to get caught up in um, the very specific, narrow means. Uh, we can broaden out and focus more on the ends that those means might serve and look for other ways to fulfill that result.
0: So that's something, one mental tick, if you will, that often gets in the way of our ability to fulfill our aspirations, that narrow focus on means rather than the broader ends that they're serving. What are some of the other things that tend to get in the way of people's expression and pursuit of their dreams? Uh, What are some of the other justifications or excuses or issues we create for ourselves,
1: yeah well uh, I think of I can think of two right off the top that are big they've been big in my life I've seen them be big in the lives of others. The first is just mm-hmm. the impact of others on the one hand, uh people can really support our dreams uh when we're growing up, and it can actually just be a word or two or uh, a brief conversation. I think back on A conversation I had once with a teacher in high school. I think it was just one time. And what came through in a way that kind of startled me was this teacher respecting me. uh, Just kind of communicating Mm. a sense of, yeah, you you should keep going with this. You've got something here. And Mm. it wasn't a big deal, but it, it was encouraging. So that's on the one hand. Others can be very supportive. On the other hand, boy, can they rain on our parade. Can they uh just doubt us or naysay us or tell us our dreams are foolish? I think it's really important to be very careful about other people's enthusiasms. That's a very tender moment. And when we ask others to join with us in our enthusiasms, often uh, we're kind of embarrassed about our enthusiasms or we have a history of feeling shamed about them in the past. And it's uh, we're not so clear we want to just sort of name it. And that's why I think it's also helpful to strengthen yourself from the inside out. Maybe drawing on some of the mm-hmm. material we've already covered in the, in the Courage podcast or the Intimacy podcast about ways of uh, asserting oneself skillfully and bringing strength and heart together with other people, mm-hmm. including around uh, saying, hey, I, I'm really, I love doing this thing. I get that it's not your primary deal in life, but hey, we're in a relationship. Could we at least spend a little time each week Doing this thing together? Could you be up for that? And hey, I'll I'll trade maybe. I'll uh, there's this other thing that you're really enthusiastic about, and I don't really have a natural sense of or caring about. But you know, hey, I'll I'll get into that. And, and I hope you'll get into this thing that I'm into. Maybe maybe is a way of mm-hmm. talking about. It. All that said, another point I want to make though about the impact of others is to acknowledge systemic impacts of various kinds. And I'm reminded of these haunting lines from a poem by Langston Hughes, an African-American poet, and he was talking about the plight of African-Americans who'd been enslaved or their descendants, and his line is, a dream deferred dries up like a raisin in the sun. Mm. And one way in which um, dreams are impacted by others is through structural forms, whether it's through racially based prejudice and discrimination, or maybe it's based on other generalized forms of, you know, discrimination or establishing, let's say, a so-called glass ceiling inside uh, companies that prevent women or others from being promoted truly in proportion to their ability and accomplishments. And it's helpful, I think, sometimes to realize that what feels like a personal problem or even a problem in a relationship in which, let's say, your partner is irritable and frustrated about what seems like matters of household life, including maybe raising the children, actually a major source of perhaps your partner's frustrations and stresses and anger or your own really originates outside your front door. And taking that into account can be a way to understand one's own psychology better and the psychology of other people. And then do what one can Uh, about Mm. those worldly factors that are impactful, uh, including impacting uh, and suppressing and thwarting one's dreams. There's a place for certainly doing what one can. In addition to doing what one can, simply the recognition of the ways that. That's been a fact. Those kinds of things um, have been factors in the past, or may well still be factors in the present. Or looking in the future, yikes! And still, you're going to have to deal with them in the future as well. At least in some cases. Just recognizing it and helping, you know, giving yourself a break in part because you recognize it can also be really helpful to people. What do you think about all that?
0: I think that those are, are big parts of kind of understanding the systemic impacts that mm. can hold somebody back yeah. in life, um, whether that be from pursuing their aspirations or just kind of generally. I mean, we're, we're naturally influenced by the people around us. yeah. And it returns to what I was mentioning earlier about that idea of, you know, which opinions are your own, which are the things that you believe are really true in your heart and the core of your being. And what are the things that have been kind of like handed to you by other people, whether that be your socio cultural milieu or that be a very specific narrow belief from a parent? And I think that drawing clarity internally about what really matters to you is a huge part of the aspirational process and a huge part of any kind of broader thinking about your life course that you want to be doing.
1: Mm. Yeah. Well, building on that, then, if it's okay, one Mm -hmm. way that others impact us and also ways we can impact ourselves is we build up what you and I've talked about before uh, as a kind of territory of the dreaded experience or dreaded experiences, Mm -hmm. experiences that we don't want to have or we try to swerve away from. And those dreaded experiences can really bound the full self-expression of a person that's involved in mm-hmm. aspiration. So if we, let's say, just can't tolerate rejection or feeling unwanted or not chosen, well, if that's a dreaded experience that uh, we really try to avoid having, that's gonna make it hard to put it in an application for, say, some kind of program in college or grad Mm -hmm. school or a different thing that maybe has an acceptance rate of 10%. So you've got a Mm -hmm. 90% chance, just in general, uh, of having that, let's say, dreaded experience. So a person would go, no. And by the way, that no might express itself unconsciously as a kind of swerving away or spacing out or dissociation or sleepiness or procrastination such that, people kind of accidentally on purpose sometimes slip deadlines and then, uh, oh darn, it's too late, the deadline's passed, I guess I better just, I don't have time to pull that application together, I'm just, I'm just going to let it go this time. And once in a while that's all right, that's just what happened, that's all, no big deal. We often though, we do those kinds of things in the service of avoiding, risking these various dreaded experiences. So, as usual, and you and I have talked about this before, being aware of the dreaded experience and the ways that it, it sets the bounds of an invisible cage to some extent is really useful. And then draw upon uh, resources of various kinds, like we've talked about previously, to push back those bars of the invisible cage and to be more and more willing to risk the experiences one might have, might have uh, in the pursuit of one's dreams.
0: We've talked fairly extensively about the dreaded experience, so I don't want to dwell too long here. But I do think that it's important to note that often there is a relationship between the things that we desire most deeply and the things that we are most afraid of. Mm. And I'm not a clinical psychologist, so I don't want to comment too extensively on why that might be. Mm. Um, but I do think that that relationship is interesting. And I've yeah. seen it kind of crop up again and again, both in my life And in the lives of people I'm close friends with or really care about, where it seems like there's the combination of this deep desire for a particular kind of thing. Mm. Um, Normally, these are intimate supplies like love and affection, or feeling seen by others, or feeling successful, really big picture ends like that. And some fundamental limiting belief or dreaded experience or whatever it might be, That just makes the attainment of that thing that is so desired so very difficult for that person. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if you have any commentary or not on why there may or may not be a link there, but I've always found that link really interesting. And I think that it's one of the reasons that the dreaded experience is such an important concept when thinking about aspiring in your life.
1: Yeah. I think the more we care about it, the more it can hurt if we don't get Mm. it. Or... The yeah. more we imagine it would hurt if we didn't. Get mm. it. Yeah,
0: I think yeah, that's, I think that's, that's the a great, great summary. Yep. So let's say that we've spent some time thinking uh-huh. back to our childhood aspirations and yeah. exploring those, thinking about some of the things we may have set aside, some of the those ends in the distance rather than the means that we've been kind of yeah. narrowly fixated on so far. What can we actually do to act on them? Like, how can we put this aspiring into action?
1: It's a right. Yeah, I think it's the right question, partly because thinking about this in a structured way is really mm-hmm. helpful. I think often when people mm-hmm. face this question, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And why haven't you achieved that already? You know, it can become this big swirl of, I don't know and on any given day there's so many things that occupy us that they can kind of crowd out this visioning process that you and I are about to get into here so doing it in a, a somewhat structured way i think it'd be really helpful so as part of that structure i think back to good old sigmund freud who uh was once asked essentially what are the what's the what are the intended results of psychoanalysis or more mm. generally what What are are the appropriate aims in life? Or how do we know that we've succeeded or that we've healed? And he said, well, Liebe und Arbeite. In other words, that uh, that was German. uh, The measure of a life is can a person experience reasonable amounts of fulfillment and can they be reasonably capable in two domains, two major domains of life, love and work, Liebe und arbeit. And I would add to Freud's list, and he was a fairly grim guy. Uh, play is a very, very important aspect of uh, uh, of life. Uh, sometimes it's said that we're not just really Homo sapiens; we're really Homo ludens, the the ape that plays. And we we play a lot. Uh, chimps and gorillas and orangutans they can play some, but but humans have a, a really playful dimension to their life. So I think this is really important to call this out, so people can. Think about or look at, and listening to us now, they can let's say pause or do it later. Um, take maybe three pieces of paper or draw three circles for these three domains of your life, and just kind of appraise how it's going uh, in the realm of love, friendship, uh, compassion, self-compassion, uh, intimate, sexual relationships with others, maybe making a family. How's it going there? And do you have any longings or aspirations to to call out, to give more attention to, and pursue in practical ways? Same with work. Career, livelihood, uh, certain activities might cross over, they might be both avocation and vocation, like for you, Forrest, I know, let's say dance, um, is both a, an avocation, something you you love mm-hmm. passionately, even if you're not paid for it, it's also something that uh, you make a living at in some ways. Okay, some things cross over, but at least now we've got this circle of work named. Uh, right here, are there ambitions that have not been fulfilled uh, and the clock's ticking and it's time to dust them off and really get at it? Uh, is there a way in which it might be appropriate to disengage from an ambition that you've held in the realm of work that's just not really ever gonna happen, the causes and conditions aren't present, or maybe that boat has sailed, it's just too late. Uh, And maybe it's appropriate to, to put your energy on new passions, new ambitions in the domain of work. Maybe. And then we have the realm of play, which I think is a very important area for so many people. It's too small a circle. For many people, it's important to widen that circle and to actually allocate more resources, more time in your schedule, more attention. Uh, more uh, development, more training, uh, getting better at certain things that you really enjoy playing at or for you are a field of play. So those would be three major areas of your life that you could take a look at. And and in my view, you know, and this kind of goes, this is consistent with some research on what's called eudaimonia, which is an aspect of well-being that has to do with fulfillment or a sense of meaning and purpose in your life, as well as hedonia. That other aspect of well being, pleasure. If you look at each one of these three domains of your life, love and work and play, and if you feel like, yeah, I am manifesting as pretty much realistically as I'd like to in each of those domains, and I am experiencing satisfaction and fulfillment in each one of those three domains, well, that's a good life. That's a good life in lots and lots of ways.
0: I think that's a great way to organize a life in terms of the things that people really care about, and mm-hmm. also just what sort of generally tends to construct a happy, fulfilling life. Mm. So inside one of those areas, how can we find ways to improve it?
1: Great question again. and um, in uh, this uh, under the in this more structured, kind of organized way of doing this, uh, there's a way of looking at this that has really served me well over the years, and I've I've offered it to others, and they've, they've said, yeah, that's useful. It's basically to think about three circles. What do you love, mm. or what do you really like or enjoy? What do you love doing? Second circle, what are you talented at? And the third circle, what do you care about? What do you value? So uh, it's particularly easy to apply these three circles to the domain of work, career, including uh, questions fundamentally of what should I be when I grow up? Or what do I really, really, really want to be when I grow up? So, for example, if you imagine the intersection of what do you love doing? What are you naturally really gifted at? Talents distinct from skills, which are forms of training, essentially. And then third, what are your values? What what are your deepest commitments in this life? How do you want to, uh, to what use do you want to put your loves and your talents? Well, if you imagine the intersection of those three circles, that's the sweet spot. The rest is details. And two circles are good, three is best of all. So you could then apply the intersection of those three circles into the territory of your work. For example, I find that a lot of people uh, both entering into their career, say in their 20s, or in midlife, in their 40s, even 50s, stepping back and taking stock What they can often see is that they got swept along by their skills, what they got Mm. trained at, and what the world valued as a kind of a specialization. And then one thing led to another, and and that's what they did. That's what they do in their job uh, and have done for 10, 20 or more years. On the other hand, maybe what people have found themselves being drawn into, because they've become increasingly skilled at it, is not necessarily something that they're highly talented at. So the, so they've had to mm, mm-hmm. deal with a lot of stress and pressure to become more and more skilled at it. Or alongside that thing that they got skilled at, and maybe it's perfectly honorable and a way to make a living, has been a talent that's lain fallow, that's not been really called upon. And when I say talents, they don't have to be related to the formal realm of work. Maybe a person has a, a deep talent that has to do with seeing the best in other people or a talent for uh, helping to create order out of chaos, or a talent with animals, that animals for some reason, they're the horse whisperer, or maybe they're the baby whisperer. They're just amazing with little kids, or they're so good uh, with uh, people who are upset about something. And maybe that's a talent. And, or maybe they're incredibly funny, and uh, they crack a few jokes at work, but that talent has not really been expressed. Well, sometimes it's helpful. Both, it's certainly helpful, I think, at the start of a career to really, really look at what your talents are and, uh, not just what you're able to be, to learn about and get trained in and skillful at, but what are you naturally great at? What are you naturally better at, including in a fairly narrow sense sometimes than almost anyone you ever meet? So that's good to do at the beginning of a career, but also, wow, midlife, I think it's appropriate sometimes to look hard at this and ask yourself, Hey, are there some things that I'm really talented at, or that I just love doing, or that I really, really care about that are appropriate to dust off and move more toward the front of the stove, mix my metaphors, and uh, really uh, focus on and appreciate, and on the basis of which make some course corrections in your career? perhaps, or make more room for them in your day. Maybe your job will never change and your 10 years from retirement and a nice pension and you're just going to keep doing that. But perhaps off to the side, uh, using, for example, uh, animals, uh, it might be appropriate if a person has a talent with animals and really loves being around non-human animals, maybe it would be appropriate to allocate one morning a month, one Saturday morning a month, or maybe more, for volunteering at a humane shelter. And you can apply this way of thinking as well. I won't go into the details here, but you can apply this way of thinking, loves, talents, and values, also to the domain of relationships, the, the domain, the circle of, of of relationships, and also to the circle of, of play, including creative expression.
0: Absolutely. Um, it reminds me a little bit of a Japanese word you might be familiar with, which is called ikigai. Mm. Um, and it's Say this more. idea... Yeah, there's, it's this idea that, that life is basically made up of four things. Or to put another way, that there are four big circles that really matter for being successful at something. Mm. That's what you love, what you're good at, what you can be paid for, and what the world needs. Mm. And the overlappings of these various circles indicate different kinds of interests. So what you love and what the world needs might be a mission for you. What you can be paid for and what you're good at might be a profession for you. Mm. But the overlap of all four of those circles is referred to by the term ikigai. And that's where you've really hit the sweet spot of something to pursue meaningfully in life as a kind of life goal or life of vocation, that sort of highest level of aspiration. Mm. And in doing this, as I think we kind of move to the end here, I think that thinking about our lives in terms of the overlapping of those various circles, whether it be love and work and play or likes and talents and values or the concept of ikigai or some other system can be a really great way, particularly as we kind of wander towards the new year, to start thinking about setting real goals and really kind of recalibrating our long-term aspirations.
1: I think that's really true for us. And I guess I go back to that haunting, haunting line. A dream deferred dries up like a raisin Mm, in the sun. mm. And sometimes people, on any given day, it feels too risky that day to swerve away or 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 disengage some from a conventional life that has a lot of security in it to make more room for uh, pursuing dreams in which the payoff is uncertain. Or in which even there, there's a high likelihood that it it really won't come to anything. Okay, on any given day, the safe bet might look like uh, staying with your conventional path that you're trotting mm-hmm. each day, and yet, mm-hmm. as the days and months and years and decades go by, it can then become increasingly clear to a person that actually. Uh, pursuing conventional security was the greatest risk of all because it creates the mm. risk of a life that feels prosaic and dutiful and yet not something that fulfills the promise of what the poet Mary Oliver has called your one wild and precious life. And so, paradoxically, it actually can turn out that taking a big breath and really pursuing important dreams with a whole heart, while also being practical and diligent and organized and effortful day after day after day after day after day, that that pursuit of the big dreams may actually turn out to have been really the safest bet of all.
0: I think that's a great note to end this episode on. So today we talked about honoring our dreams. We began by sharing why childhood dreams are particularly important, and how the deep knowings present there can continue to guide us even as adults. We then talked about some of the things that get in the way of those dreams and how we can move past them. A great distinction was drawn there between means and ends. Uh, The point isn't to be, to use the example we used here, a movie star when you grow up It's to look at what that specific dream is telling you about the general things that matter to you deeply. Mm. And decoupling means and ends is a great way to find sort of the true aspirations in your life. We then discussed how we can use the circles of love and work and play towards the end there to identify areas of our life that we wish were a bit different, and how we can use that as a guide for setting new aspirations. So that's it for our episode on honoring our dreams. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate it. If you'd leave a rating and subscribe to the podcast through the platform of your choice, it helps other people find it and we really appreciate it. We hope you'll join us again next week when we'll continue the strength of aspiration with a discussion focused on aspiring without attachment. Until then, thanks for listening.